This is Global Ambitions, your 15-minute window into the minds of localization and international go-to market experts. Discover how they respond to their biggest challenges. Here's today's host. Hi, my name is Stephanie Harris, and I'll be your host today for this episode of Global Ambitions. Our guest today is Chris Phillips, and he is the Chief Solutions Officer who heads up data services at Argos Multilingual. And our topic today is going to be a pretty interesting one that I'm sure is on the top of a lot of people's minds, um, going into the growing field of data services. So Chris, super glad to have you on the program today. Thank you, Steph. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? So I'm on the back end of COVID for like the third time. Oh, no. Uh, no, but look, you know, I'm, I'm getting used to it now, uh, as I say, being the third time. But it, it, do you know what surprises me? It wasn't so long ago. We're only talking two years ago. I was flying to Sweden from Munich. And I remember that someone on one of the planes had COVID. And they were all taken off the plane by guys in white suits. And the whole plane had to go you know, go into some quarantined oh my goodness. unit and good God. So, but thank God those days are over, but uh, yeah, I'm doing good now. Thank yes. you very much. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you're able to join us today and talk a little bit about data. So this is something that it's been growing in the industry. We keep on hearing about it in relation to translation and localization, but it doesn't really fit into that same bucket. Right. Um, can you sort of give a history of how you got started with data as a translation company? How, how did that even happen? Yeah, well, actually, from an individual level within the translation industry, I was exposed to data collection probably around nine years ago. And it was just by chance. I had my own company back then. I was specializing in translating into the Nordics. And actually, one of the big translation companies, similar to what Argos is today, had approached me and said, look, we've just got thousands, hundreds of thousands of words and thousands of sentences that we just need you to translate. And I remember thinking back then, well, this is easy. <laughs> like it's just random sentences and let's just get it done. And, and that's what we did back then. We just did that, you know, but as times come on and as, and what I've learned today, I actually think what, what we were exposed to then, the approach was wrong. Okay. Now, of course, maybe the requirements weren't as strict then as they are today, but you know, and then how did Argos get involved? Well, we've been translating for some of the big five. We've been working with some of the big five for right. you know, a couple of years. They had heard that we were delivering good quality translations. They were having some issues with a different vendor. I don't know the full story, but they came to us and said, hey, guys, can you help us out? We, we want to mm. test you out to do some translations for machine learning. Now, because I'd been exposed to it, when we actually saw the job come in, we were able to you know, adapt the requirements a little bit based on some of the experience I had. And it was relatively small, you know, uh, not, not as big as what I've seen before and certainly not as big as what we're doing today. Right. And we did a pretty good job. You know, we used the typical translator, editor, quality assurance models that, that we were used to. And that worked pretty well for the client. And they kept on coming back. They kept on coming back with smaller chunks. And that's how we got started, really. And, and uh, you know, so much has happened since then. Yeah. As you mentioned, a lot has happened since then. So mm. have you seen some evolution in how the data services works? Definitely so. Well, I mean, if we sort of jump back a little bit as well, it grew so fast and so quick that, you know, yeah. at one point we were using traditional translation technology to help our clients get the data collections they needed for machine learning. Mm -hmm. But then without preparation, suddenly we were told we needed to scale this up to 
you know, huge levels, 100 plus languages, mm. 1,000 plus linguists. We knew because of the challenges we'd identified with some of the, you know, the relatively smaller projects, still big, but small in comparison, we knew that the technology was not going to be able to cope with these volumes. Yeah. So we had to think on our feet and we scoured the market. We were testing so many different tools to say which one is going to be the best one to handle this volume of people. Mm-hmm. And we, could, we just couldn't find one. Whether they were paid, free, you know, it just wasn't there. So we ended up coming up with the bright idea that we would develop something. And that is Mm -hmm. what we we ended up having to do. Well, it sounds like things are constantly growing and evolving from those first projects, which were pretty straightforward, but then you had to change the methods. So what are you actually doing today with the clients? Mm. Today is everything related to NLP, which is natural language processing. So on top of the translation, which customers are using to train machine translation models, we're also doing annotation, search relevance, chatbot localization, uh, labeling, transcription, audio data collection. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. So anything that's actually related to human language, we're involved in helping our clients get data for their machine learning. So that seems like a lot of diversification with probably a lot of difference between each of these different types. I'm sure there must have been some growing pains to get to that point. Um, can you share with us what some of those were? Yeah, I th- well, you know, I think the biggest pains we had was diverting too far away from our roots, our roots as a language service provider, mm. because that distracted us. You know, a good example of this is one of our clients wanted audio data collection. Well, okay, we ticked that box. Mm-hmm. We've done that many times, so th- there's no problem. The problem was, is they said, we want audio c- data collection, but it needs to be of guns being fired. And we had to record the audio from these firearms being fired from different distances, so 500 meters, 1,000 meters, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we uh-huh. took that project on, right? Uh, it sounds as <laughs> crazy as it sounds now. I remember, spe- I remember having the conversation, and I sort of went quiet, like, is this for real? <laughs> and it turned out to actually be actually be very real and, and we took it on and wow i, I remember I, I right wow and i remember coming away from that call pacing up and down my room thinking well i've now said we'll do it or how are we going to do it and we had to get creative i mean we had to look around the only thing i can guarantee is that no one was hurt and there was no criminality involved in this data collection at all <laughs> it turned out we had to, we were able to get in contact with some people who work with firearms and they were able to set that up and get it recorded but you see there was a typical example of us as an organization trying to grow data services as we understood it then, right? So we felt like, well, if we're going to be successful within the data collection field, we need to take on all types of data collection. And and that was a, a lesson that we learned that it doesn't have to be the case. So I think the key thing is trying to find uh, your place within this market. So if I split it into, like if I take the three most common sort of quote requests that come into us, we're looking at sort of engineering type jobs. We're looking mm-hmm. at language, linguistic NLP, so that sort of fits in the middle. And then we have image and vision. So if we take those three, we fit very nicely into the middle one, right? Because that's our roots. We know languages, we work with professional linguists. And then you've got the two on the sides. You've got engineering and then you've got image and vision. Well, from the engineering side, if the scale tips over into that field, we're okay because historically the language services industry has grown as well using very skilled engineers. So we can adapt those. The challenge comes then when you try to 
pivot or tilt that scale over to the other side, which is image and vision in the industry as computer vision and, for example, annotation right. in that field. Mm -hmm. And there it gets a little bit challenging. The reason being is, one, it's either too specialist, i.e. labeling MRI scans or x-rays within the medical field, or it requires too large volume at very low cost. So it means you would have to set up production units in very low cost regions. Something that, you know, both of these things that are doable, we may approach yeah. them in the future. It's just not our primary target today. So we're sticking primarily to what we know best, i.e. Mm -hmm. natural language processing. And we're certainly diversifying out in, more into the engineering field where the engineering and the NLP side are sort of merging together. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, do you have any examples of what people get wrong or right when they are making these approaches besides, you know, specializing and finding your niche in the actual work day to day? What do you get wrong or, or even right? Yeah, I, I think what we've had to learn over the, the past few years is we've got to try and find the balance within the four key areas. Actually, there's five, but let me focus on the four and I'll list them out. So I think... What you need to do is you've got to focus in this order. That's the scope, tooling, people, quality. And I said there's five, so I'm going to have to include it because, you know, it is important <laughs> is pricing. However, pricing, mm, yeah. you know, we put that at the end simply because if you can't get the other four right, you know, there's doesn't matter what, then you can't figure out the price. So when we take the scope, mm -hmm. what we tend to see is we work a lot with data scientists and data scientists are very good and clear at identifying what it is they want and they're very good at that they know exactly what the outcome should be with this data set so they can train their models the problem we've seen far too often is that the piece in between the process of getting that data let's talk let's use annotation as an example describing how things should be annotated and more often than not if you just accept it the scope uh, face value from a data scientist or from the contacts within your, the, the organization that's providing you with the work, you could end up with a lot of backwards and forward misunderstanding in what's supposed to be achieved. So I advise anyone to, you know, make sure you go through the scope of a fine tooth comb, push back if you have to, mm. you know, make sure everyone is understanding what it is that needs to be done. You know, there's that misconception, and I even had this myself, that if you're a data scientist, you've got to be good with tech and user interfaces of systems. And, you know, that isn't always the case. I mean, of course, there are some that are, that right. are geniuses in all fields, but they're not software people. So that's where our skill comes in, right? Is making sure we understand what it is we need to do. Once you have that, then it comes on to tooling. And what we've seen and what we've been guilty of this ourselves and we've changed the way we do this in, in recent years is if you try to fit the data set and your workflow into an existing tool, it can lead to delays. It can lead to problems while your people are trying to work within that environment. Mm -hmm. So if you don't get tooling right, and it can be very costly as well, right? Because right. if you've got people working in your tools and the tools are not efficient for the actual for the type of work that's being carried out you end up with too many people dropping off of the projects you know, the cost of them rehiring retraining it, it, it outweighs it outweighs the advantages so we focus a lot right. on adapting our tools making sure you know we visualize each step that everyone's going to have to go through while they're working on the specific data sets that we're trying to work on and then, of course, then comes the people, right? Right. So you, the people are key, but there are different levels of people 
that you need for different types of annotation work. And one, we often hear the client say, well, we need you to annotate. And, and suddenly, well, what does that mean? Is that just A-B testing? Is this sentence good or bad? Or do you then suddenly need them to be labeling certain words based on grammar rules or any other language type rules? So right. there's a huge difference in the skill set required for the people that are working on these projects. Mm-hmm. Quality. Quality, you've got to have a quality strategy before you even get started because you, you've got to know what it is you're going to measure. Yeah. Some projects are easier than others, but in our, in our case, we've got data scientists on our side who just help us analyze the fruit and the results of the what the people are working on and that's coming out of the tooling mm-hmm. that we've developed. Uh, what so coming back to the original question is, what do people get right or wrong? Well, if you try to put too much weight on any one of these four areas and not right. take into consideration or, or not keep them at an equal value, you could run into, into some problems. We've seen it, we've learned from that, and that's what we try to focus on. Find that balance, making sure all of these areas are covered. Okay. So this is a lot about what's going on currently, but where do you see the industry going? Things are changing so fast. How do you project the future for this particular type of service? Well, I mean, the industry is so huge. I mean, the work we do is not even touching the scale of the volumes that are out there and the volumes that are probably coming. Yes, we keep hearing things, you know, it's now 2023, chat GPT, everyone's screaming about it. In, in my opinion, what it's doing is it's creating awareness that people need AI or people can benefit from AI because chat GPT isn't the answer to everything. So if the awareness is created and people start realizing that AI can add value to their businesses, well, in order for them to use AI or develop machine learning models, they need data. And that's where companies like us who are working with data collection or annotating, labeling these, these types of data, we become in, in more demand. So that's where I see things going. Okay. Well, thank you, Chris. This has been very, very informative. And I feel like I've learned a lot and given a lot of really good insights for folks who are interested in this field and just learning more. So thank you for coming on the show. No, thank you. And if you get any follow-up questions or anyone's interesting about finding out more, please do reach out to me. Is the best place for folks to reach out to you on LinkedIn? That's perfect. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Global Ambitions. Subscribe at globalambitions.net or wherever you get your podcasts.